Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. It's straight out of Cobham, a show about Chelsea FC from The Athletic. On this episode, take over confusion as Bowley Bid gets the green light only for Jim Ratcliffe to make a late offer. There's the annual Goodison Park misery to reflect on, a crucial win for the women's team and plenty more besides. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic. This is straight out of Cobham. Back again then, folks, for the first of our bi-weekly dives into all things CFC. Joining me, Matt Davis-Adams, today are Dominic Fifield. Good morning, Matthew. Good morning, Dominic. Uh, Super Sam Parkins back with us too. How are you doing, Sam? Very good, Matt. Morning. Uh, right, so Sam, uh, listeners to the Totally Football League show will know that you are an excellent dissector of footballers' tweets. I want to start today with one from a footballer's dad. This is from Mark Pulisic, <laughs> since deleted, tweeted last night. The sad thing is... He loves his club, teammates and London, puts his heart and soul into being a pro. Onwards and upwards, my boy. Big six months ahead. Dot, dot, muscly arm emoji. Um, how helpful would that kind of intervention from your dad have been uh, during the Ipswich days? <laughs> uh, I never had a bad game, according to my <laughs> mum. Uh, she would have got both barrels, let me tell you. Um, my dad probably gave me a bit more constructive criticism when I was younger, but... Yeah, ill-advised, I would I would say, for family members to be tweeting about your situation at a club. But clearly that's uh, that's probably due to conversations he's been having with his son or, you know, developments off the pitch. Got sympathy for him a little bit because we've seen in a Chelsea shirt, not for a while, that he's a very capable footballer. I think he's I think he's probably the main one that suffers because of the system. I really do believe that. I think if he could play wide on the left-hand side, uh, you know, with a 4-3-3 or 4-2-3-1, he would be much suited. I just don't think he's as good as the other options as a 10 or as a, as a wing-back, which I think is where he was deployed when he came on yesterday initially. And then Ziyech ended out there on the right-hand side. So I have a bit of sympathy, but, you know, since the injury, we've we've not seen the best of him. This kind of thing, Dom, it, it makes good copy uh, for journalists, but it also speaks to, to the general sort of sense that something's not right around Chelsea at the moment, doesn't it? And, and obviously the takeover is a massive factor in this, but it feels like things are starting to slide in terms of, I don't know, the management of the squad. Maybe obviously the contractual situation is something we've spoken about a lot, but but this kind of thing doesn't happen in a happy dressing room, I would argue. Yeah, you're probably right. I mean, if you look at the... The bench at Goodison Park. Um, you can go through all the all those players pretty much, and you know Kepa clearly very much a second choice and we, with an unclear future at the club. Um, Lukaku, we've said so much about him, um, where his future lies. If he can't get onto the pitch when Chelsea are, are struggling to break down Everton, then when is he ever going to get onto the pitch? Chaloba's sort of gone off the board of late. Saul's been, a, as a low move, just hasn't worked. And there's clearly a lack of faith there from the management. 
Kennedy and Saar. I mean, I don't need to say very much on those fronts. Um, Pulisic and Ziyech have just become perennial substitutes who've come on and, and, and clearly there isn't the faith from the management in, in getting them on, which has left a situation where, as Liam pointed out in his, his piece this morning, 10 of the players that started the game against Manchester United on Thursday night started the game at Goodison Park on, on Sunday night. And for a, an elite club with with what, what most clubs in the Premier League would consider real squad depth to their options... Um, well, it's not being demonstrated on on a, on a weekly basis, and that's presumably because the management do not have faith in so many of those players to actually deliver for him on the on the pitch. And yeah, it, it's, it feels like a rather fractious end to the season in terms of rather fraught end to the season in terms of what's going on on the pitch, and and that is increasingly reflecting, you know, all the uncertainty of it. Yeah, we hope there'll be some good news in terms of off the pitch. We're going to talk takeovers next. The breaking news in the last few minutes, the Todd Burley Consortium, which is backed most of the money coming from Clear Lake Capital, an investment company based in California, are the preferred bidders for Chelsea Football Club. Right. A sensational development in the battle to buy Chelsea Football Club from Roman Abramovich. So Jim Radcliffe uh, this morning has made, according to reports, a late bid, a sensational bid of more than £4 billion to buy Chelsea. Uh, that thing where you record a podcast and then loads of stuff happens immediately after producer Lucy hits the send button. Uh, yeah, that, that was us on, on Friday, I'm afraid. It all kicked off in the afternoon. Firstly, reports leaked that the Stephen Paliuka and Martin Broughton-led bids have been told they were unsuccessful. And then it emerged that the British billionaire Sir Jim Ratcliffe had tabled a late offer of his own. Uh, Matt Slater has written more on this for The Athletic. Uh, it's a really good explainer, so do check it out. Remember, athletic.com slash ChelseaPod, the place to go to sign up if you don't yet subscribe. Uh, Dom, th- this Jim Ratcliffe bid is described by Matt, or, or he uses the metaphor of, of somebody gazumping you on a house move. N- not illegal, maybe a little bit unethical, but I mean, it's incredible, isn't it, that, that this development has happened at, at this time when we're so far down the process. It, it, he must be serious to have made the bid, but why didn't he do it when everybody else was? It's a good question. A couple of months ago, we're told that that uh, there was a, a sort of tentative inquiry um, as to how much it would cost, and he decided that it was going to cost too much to to take Chelsea on. Uh, two months down the line, um, the numbers just seem to have gone further through the roof, and yet now he suddenly comes out and and tables this offer after talks uh, with the Chelsea hierarchy last Thursday. He was he was in London apparently last week um and and made those inquiries worked out you know whether he was going to formalize his interest and and that went in on friday and it seems to have circumnavigated to a certain extent to a certain extent rain group certainly circumnavigated their their process where they've had you know all the bids came in whenever it was a month ago and then they've had this this period where they've had um four and then three um, consortia, um, and then that was going to be whittled down on on Friday to the Bowley led group with uh, the Bowley Clear Lake um, group. But he is serious, apparently, Jim Ratcliffe. I mean, he's he's still um, hoping to to talk to to various stakeholders, um, potentially including supporters groups in the in the coming days. He still thinks he's got a chance, and actually, I mean we. 
in the intro there, you, you, you mentioned the the Broughton and the Paluka bids. They're, they're not off the table. They're not dead. Because if Bowley doesn't, the Bowley Clear Lake bid does not reach an agreement in this allotted time, which is about a week, then pretty much the, the system, the process is open again. And, and Rain Group look at the the other bids on the table, which would now be back up to three more bids. It would be it would be Broughton, it would be Paluka, and it would also be Ratcliffe. Um, so I don't think we can be definitive about anything in the days and weeks to come. I'm afraid it's still gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna bumble along for a while longer, and we're gonna, we're gonna find out how serious Ratcliffe is, um, whether there's any appetite within the Chelsea hierarchy for that to be the favourable bid, and in in the meantime. The preferred bidder status has been given to Bowley and he has to convince all parties that he should be his Clear Lake Bowley bid should be the one that they pursue. Sam, you and I are occasional contractors of Chelsea and I'm finding all this incredibly stressful. For for, for Thomas Tuchel, I feel like this might be the last thing that he wanted, the, new, the news of this Ratcliffe bid coming in because th- there needs to be some certainty and some clarity for those who are going to be sticking around for the long term. You know, we, we can say, well, it doesn't really matter to Andreas Christensen because he's off anyway, but, but we're nearly at the end of the season. You've got to start planning for next season before too long and that's not even taking into account the fact that this special licence ends at the end of May and, and something has to happen by then. Yeah, I agree with you. I still have the feeling that ultimately it will will be sorted and Chelsea will be able to mount some form of challenge next year. But, you know, Simon's piece today or yesterday about the speculation about Mount and, and James, you know, these players that are, you know, not in their, their peaks right now, but are playing for their country. Um, they want to be challenging for honours. And, and of course, Thomas Tuchel, is one of the main components of this club right now. And he doesn't want to be having a season of consolidation a la Frank Lampard with the the transfer ban, even though he did wonderfully well that season. These guys don't want to be in a job where they haven't got the tools to to challenge and and get closer to Liverpool and Manchester City. I mean, 17 points is is the gap uh, at the moment from Chelsea to to Liverpool uh, or to City. And... um, we thought they were going to challenge this year, so it's not been particularly good in the, the league. And and next year, he he won't want to be this far away. So the longer this goes on, the more difficult it's going to be for him to to build a squad that's going to be able to challenge on all fronts next season. And more likely that we may see some of the the lone stars that have been fantastic um, being around the squad for for kickoff. And it's not to say some of those don't deserve it, but it needs to be supplemented with some quality signings, which I think on yesterday's showing uh, the club's in desperate need of. I appreciate what you're saying there, Matt, about the uncertainty, etc. But Rain or Abramovich or whoever is ultimately going to make this decision is working for a long-term solution. And if that takes a bit longer over this summer, so be it, if it's going to guarantee Chelsea's long-term future. Um, it may be that the Radcliffe bid is the best bid for Chelsea. It, it's not the biggest bid by the sound of things. It's Financially, I don't think the package is quite as big as the other three that were on the table. But it would probably be the nearest thing they have to an Abramovich-like figure. It's it's There's a there's a clear... There's basically Jim Ratcliffe in control. It's not a syndicate. It's not a various different parties and um, in, a, in, a, in a sort of... Well, a, a consortium full of vo- different voices. It would be the simplest solution in, in, in many ways. Okay, it's come late and it's 
it's almost treated the whole process with a lot of disrespect and the way that it's been done. But it may be the best bid. It it might be. And if it is, Chelsea really need to look at it. They need to scrutinise it and they don't need to rush through something else if actually the better option is 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 being ignored. I mean, when we talk about players' uncertain futures, Mason Mount's got two more years on his contract. Reese James got three more years on his contract. There's, if Chelsea want to keep them in the summer, they keep them in the summer. They can't even... If they're still under sanction, they, still, they can't negotiate a transfer deal anyway to, to, to take them out of the club. It's... It's okay. It's a, it's unsettling, and it might be a bit of limbo, but it's it's not disastrous because they've still got a future at Chelsea Football Club. They're still under contract. It's not like an Antonio Rudiger situation. And as much as it's frustrating, this is this is all about Chelsea's long term future. And you have to think you have to think about the bigger picture as to what is going to be longer term. And I'm, I'm talking supporters here more than club employees who who are reliant upon a wage in the short term, particularly freelancers. Um, but that is the only way they can look at it. It's, it's akin to a club in administration where, you know, that might lose, might lose a couple of players. Well, Chelsea might lose Antonio Rudiger and Andreas Christensen and say as Piliqueta. But if in the longer term, they've got owners that will share the ambitions of, well, even the current ownership, then they'll be in a better place in, Two three years time for the for the little pause and and the the consideration that that rain group or or the hierarchy at the club give to all bids at the moment. That that said, Bowley Clearlake is 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 the preferred bidder. Bowley Clearlake have got the chance this week to convince everybody that they should be the owners of Chelsea Football Club. Um, this is their opportunity to do. Well, to make this process far simpler, because they can blow everybody else out of the water this week. They can actually show this is what we want to do, and this is how we're going to do it, and this is why we should be serious. And then, you know, this time next week we might be sitting here with you know this. The takeover is now going to be smooth. It's going to go to government. It's going to it's going to get the green light. And in a couple of weeks' time, we three weeks' time, four weeks' time, whatever, we might Chelsea Football Club might have new owners, and it probably will be Clear Lake Bowley. But I still think there's got to be an element of patience. I just think the anxiety comes from the shifting goalposts of things like the Ratcliffe bid coming in last minute, of things like, well, now you've got to chuck another 500 million quid on for the for the victims of Ukraine fund and all, all this kind of well, stuff. The interesting thing on that was, I mean, I, I, that perplexed me as well, but that's, that's, almost, that's almost been born of a basic misunderstanding from somewhere in the process of of whether Roman Abramovich can write off a £1.5 billion debt. And it turns out he can't. So to guarantee a billion pounds to a charitable foundation, which incidentally still hasn't been set up, um, you know, that's... You have to have a £2.5 billion pot coming in. I mean, that's just the the peculiarities of the system. And And it sort of shows how complicated everything is, I guess. But... And yeah, of course there's uncertainty, but it's not—it's not like a club going into administration or a club going into being liquidated. It's not—we're not talking Berry Football Club here. It's Chelsea. There are four interested parties still. Five of you count the Ricketts bid, which you know is still sort of hovering around there. I mean, they're, they're, there's plenty of interest in them. It will get sorted out. Um, it's just—it's just a matter of going through a very complicated and difficult process to get it done. 
All right. So finally on the takeover then, Dom, the other thing that, that's caused me anxiety, I think, with these comments by Nadine Dorries last week, that it needs to be done. Do, do you think that if necessary, the, the government will just extend the sporting licence beyond the 31st of May just to allow it to get done, but, but get done properly rather than rush through? Yeah, I, I, I expect it will, because it's not in the government's interest to for Chelsea to go to the wall. I mean, the cynic in me says that that would cost them too, too many votes in quite affluent parts of London as well. Um, I, I, I can't, I don't see why they would do that. It's that they want they want this sorted out. So I, I, again, we're in unprecedented territory because it, it doesn't happen with football clubs um, to become sanctioned assets of you know Russian oligarchs. It, this is all uncharted territory. But I'm sure if it comes to that on the 31st of of, of May, as long as as long as there's there's evidence that it's moving in the right direction and we're getting there, it can't be a case where we go through May and every single day brings out another another you know businessman with in tax exile willing to throw money at the uh, at the club. But I, it won't be like that. It, by then, we, they should be well down the line with with, with most likely Clear Lake Bowley to get it all done. And the, <laughs> It's, it's inter- the government's role in it all is, is is interesting as well, and there's been a lot of talk about how the statement released by Ineos and uh, and Ratcliffe about this being a British club and this is being the only British bid would curry favour with the government, despite the fact that he's he quit the UK to go and live in Monaco as a tax exile a while back, and which isn't very patriotic, um, really. Um, I don't think they'll be. I don't think they'll fall for that. I don't. I don't, I don't think that will come into it particularly. I suspect that they want. They just want to see this done. This process done. If, if anything, Nadine Doris is actually. I don't even want to give her credit for that because, quite frankly, you have no idea what she's going to say whenever she opens her mouth, and and it, 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 most of it is debatable. So um, let's just let's just leave her out of it. She said what she did on a BBC interview last week. Um, it will get sorted, and if need be, I'm sure that if it if it's going to run into early June, that they will just extend the the license to 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 make sure that it all goes through. Oh, for the simpler days of February, when we were wondering if Romelu Lukaku's goals at the Club World Cup were going to give him the kickstart he needed for the uh, the remainder of the season. All right, that's the takeover. Let's cheer ourselves up by talking about Everton versus Chelsea. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? (laughs) You mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Simon's shaking his head. He's been It's over. I'm I'm calling it now. (laughs) I've been to Goodison Park so many times and watched the same performance by both teams, actually. Everton playing a sort of very... Ugly, aggressive, physical, in-your-face, set-piece style of football and Chelsea folding. And I I just, I'll be very surprised if there isn't a repeat. There's a point, there's a really important one. Given away though by Villacruta, Richardson! A gigantic goal! And the Glenn Street end for Everton! Simon Johnson there predicting perfectly what was going to happen. Uh, another year, another defeat for the Blues at Goodison Park. Losing at the home of the Toffees, a.k.a. Frank Lampard's Everton yet again. Richarlison's goal, enough to see off a tepid Blues side. Liam Toomey was there for The Athletic. He sent us this report. First, I must apologise to the subscribers in my Q&A for this game who, prior to kick-off, predicted it perfectly. The phrase Charity FC got a few outings. Uh, They predicted that a Chelsea gift would lead to an Everton win here. The Everton win that Frank Lampard and this storied club so desperately needed. Lampard is in front of me pumping his fist, just completing a lap of appreciation at Goodison Park. And I said to the subscribers, you know, there's no need to be so cynical just because we've seen it before doesn't mean it'll play out that way again how wrong i was chelsea certainly played like a group of players who had been kept up part of the night by a firework display first half they didn't defend too badly but they certainly lacked everton's edge you could tell without looking too hard that they this was a team that had nowhere near as much to play for And then, as we've seen so often in recent months, start of the second half, they were asleep and principally, Cesaris Piliqueta, the club captain, was asleep, a horrendous individual mistake, the type of mistake that Thomas Tuchel has been bemoaning for a long time now. Tilted the game as it turned out irreversibly in Everton's favour. It lifted this entire stadium, which had been pretty anxious up to that point and gave Everton something to cling to and from there we got the show that we expected you know the time wasting the feistiness I thought Chelsea got drawn into the emotion of this game far too easily three bookings in the first half all for various degrees of argy bargy and afters with Everton players Seamus Coleman was was trying to set the tone shall we say for this game Uh, and down the stretch you got you know Richarlison going down with cramp I thought Rudiger's decision to put the ball out of play 
really summed up Chelsea's mindset in this game. Just nowhere near what it needed to be, as ruthless as it needed to be. And aside from two incredible saves from Jordan Pickford in the second half, you rarely got the sense that Chelsea were going to find an equaliser. The ball wasn't in play much for the final 20, 25, 30 minutes and for the seven plus of injury time. And you also got the performance art of Jordan Pickford stretching out his hamstrings, doing little flexes, crumpling to the floor with the ball. All the usual, quite entertaining when, when you're winning the game. Um, the Chelsea fans across to my right had very little to stick around for, to be honest, beyond the final whistle, other than to applaud Lampard, which they did. This is obviously a massive result for him. The one bit of happiness I'd imagine that some Chelsea fans can take from this. And obviously a huge result for Everton. We've got one hell of a relegation battle in the Premier League now. But it's another listless display from Chelsea that, that really gives you very little to be optimistic about in terms of heading to the FA Cup final. Is there anything right now that suggests Chelsea will beat Liverpool or, or even compete with them in the manner they did at Wembley in, the, in February or at Stamford Bridge in January? I'm not sure, but we'll leave it there for now. Uh, very little to be optimistic about, says Liam. That fair, Sam? Uh, yeah. Quite possibly, if that's the as near as the team that's going to take the field in the in the cup final, then yeah, it was a pretty desperate showing. I thought. I know there's some pressure on the league games now, and you know if Arsenal and Tottenham can get their acts together and show the, the consistency to put Chelsea under real pressure, then there's still going to be some points needed to be won in the Premier League, um, which makes it a little bit peculiar that there was only the one change yesterday because of the schedule. Um, I don't believe tiredness can be the, the 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 largest accusation, but you know I thought it was an opportunity to play a few different players yesterday, considering the the time scale uh, between games, and I thought it was really lethargic. You knew how Everton were going to start, you knew they were going to be incredibly um, energetic from the front, and they closed Chelsea and forced them into mistakes. And to be honest, that was the only way they were going to score. Um, they they lacked that real belief, that real creativity. I thought Everton in the final third. So handing them a goal was probably the only way they were going to win that game. And that's how it played out, albeit in the in the second half. So, yeah, I mean, speaking to Dom just a minute ago off air, really disappointed with the front two. I thought there was a, we've, we've criticised Lukaku so often about his inability to move the centre-halves about. Well, I saw that in abundance from the, that front two yesterday. I thought there was a lack of desire to show for the ball, when Jorginho and, and James were kind of probing in the first half on the right-hand side of the pitch and they were looking for just a wall, just someone to bounce the ball into, those two didn't didn't get over and and provide that as a as they should have done. So really disappointed with them. It wasn't just about about their performance, but um yeah, I thought when Ziyech came on, he maybe added a little bit on the right-hand side, a couple of stepovers, a couple of uh, decent thrusts forward, but in the main it was um it was pretty lackluster although Jordan Pickford still you know was probably the pick of the bunch for for Everton making some some amazing saves i mean you know if i was a center forward in the premier league and i was playing against Coleman Mina and Holgate i would have would have fancied my my 
opportunities of uh, of getting a goal or two. So, yeah, really frustrating from the forward players again. But I think Thomas Tuchel has got an argument to point towards the clean sheet and the individual errors because they are stacking up. And if we we talked on the previous pod about the difference in Man City's forward assets and, and Liverpool's trio of goal scorers and the inability for Chelsea to convert, then you have to you have to look at the and compare the amount of mistakes that the top two are making in, in, in relation to Chelsea's defensive players. I mean, there's been a, so many errors that have directly led to goals. Then that has to be a large reason as to why Chelsea are so off. Uh, just back on the uh, on the other end of the pitch, Dom, Ben tweeted to say, is Chelsea's inability to convert possession into meaningful chances and goals simply a symptom of the Lukaku misfit or is there something more fundamentally lacking in approach? in the final third. Um, it's It's been almost a standout issue of the season on the pitch, hasn't it? Trying to get a front three or a front two to actually show some kind of consistency. It, it looked as though we were there a couple of weeks ago with Werner and Havertz, but, but that seems to have drifted away again too. Yeah, as quickly as Timo Werner's form came, it's it's abandoned him again. He was very, very peripheral um, at Goodison Park. I mean, it's... The movement definitely comes into that, and when they when they're in sync and they and and they're they're fluid in the in their movement and 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 they make the right runs. Obviously, um, they will open up defenses as poor as Everton's have 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 been, but they weren't on on Sunday. They they created seventeen ch- shots on on goal in that game, but they weren't. Other than that sort of flurry where Pickford's plucking saves out of the air, ether. Um, they, they weren't really clear-cut chances they were creating. They, they, they weren't brilliant sightings of goal. They, they was, it was half chances. It was, it was the type of chances that the majority of mid-table Premier League teams sort of rack up and think, oh, well, we've done okay today, when actually they've scored zero. Um, well, that was, it was a sort of a mid-table uh, performance from, from the front ranks at Chelsea. And, and, it, and whenever that happens, you sort of... That yearning for a Cesc Fabregas type figure who can who can just you know provide a, a real visionary pass to open up a a, a defence and and, uh, and and create a really really clear cut obvious chance is that just gets stoked you, you 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 desperately need that but Chelsea don't have that player they've they're, they're most attacking and and. Um, Free-flowing football this season has been achieved not with a creator in the middle, but with a threat down the flanks, with Chilwell and, and Rhys James attacking and providing width and opening teams up that way and providing space in the middle that others have exploited. And, and, and Ch- Chilwell's absence shouldn't be underestimated. I mean, it's it's really, really hurt them. Marcus Alonso, I thought, was, again, just, just, just off it, like they all were uh, at Goodison Park. Um, James is clearly feeling his way back in. He can be brilliant on Thursday night and then off colour on on Sunday. That's, I guess, that's the nature of a player that probably doesn't entirely trust his hamstrings at the moment. But the whole of the performance, I just thought, was just an angry mess of a performance. They got sucked into Everton's um, tactics that were so obvious. That that's what they were going to do. There was, they, they, I mean, it was. They did it at Anfield, and it and it it almost paid off for them there. But Chelsea allowed themselves to get wound up, and and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't. It, it was it was it was players like Aspilicueta who should know better. 
losing their heads. And when you see your captain doing that, it's no wonder that some of the younger, more impressionable players in the team probably follow suit and get rattled. And, you know, Havertz and Mount and people like that suddenly start picking fights with people who are twice their size and twice as likely to tumble clutching their faces when they've had an ankle brushed. I mean, it's it's it was just such a fractious and an angry and angry occasion. It just it provided no rhythm for Chelsea to get into it at all, really. And God, if they think it was bad at Goodison Park, wait until they play Leeds away next week, next Wednesday, because that's exactly the same scenario there. It's going to be horrific if, if they don't get their act together and start getting some focus. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to have to be balanced because 10 of these players won the Champions League not so long ago. But you think of teams, of the Chelsea teams of, of, of yesteryear, that type of fixture. Is the speculation having a little bit of an impact on playing Rudiger and, uh, and people that maybe aren't going to be there next year? I'm not going to go full Roy Keane, but you need real character for that game yesterday. I think people to roll their sleeves up, you know, Diego Costa, Drogba, Lampard, Terry, people that wouldn't have accepted going there and uh, and leaving leaving without anything against a team that are clearly a squad that are clearly inferior to you. And for me yesterday, it was far too easy for Everton to get in the faces and and Chelsea to get rattled and Chelsea not be able to show that composure to play through the press and um, and have quality in the final third. I just don't think at the moment there's enough there's enough of the top players showing consistent performances. I suppose it boils down to um, not enough of the the guys that have been really good in, in Chelsea shirts showing it week after week. You know, it's not good enough to be an eight and then a be a four. Like, you know, Alonso, for example, he was brilliant at Old Trafford. One of his best performances, um, you know, uh, along with the goal, I thought his all-round game was great. Miles off it yesterday. And I think that could be said about, you know, that's just an example. That could be said about Werner Havertz recently and a number. I just think the consistency when you compare them to to City and Liverpool. I mean, James yesterday, Don makes the, the point. That's as bad as I've seen him. You know, normally he doesn't need, you know, countless opportunities to, to, to get that delivery right. He had opportunity yesterday to put the ball and he was he, his quality was severely lacking. So I, I think sometimes you can, yeah, the tactics is really important and the selection and, and what have you. But, but sometimes that character, you know, to go to Goodison when you knew what was coming, I, I, I felt that lack yesterday, definitely. I suppose I'm trying to think of mitigating circumstances for it, and and there is a, an element of drift in the in the league campaign. I mean, it's not going anywhere, is it? They, they, they've probably been so far clear in third place for such a long time that there's maybe a bit of an element of complacency that they they're pretty much sure. And I'm I've been guilty of that. I still think they'll finish third. They'll, they'll rouse themselves for enough of their remaining games to to secure third place, but. But maybe that that element of drift takes an edge off the performance. Likewise, fatigue. I mean, it will, as Simon pointed out in the pod on Thursday or Friday, rather, they will end up playing sixty-three of their sixty-six available games this season. Um, that's a lot of matches, um, and when you've got a a game where you're going into it against an opponent who it, it means everything for, and it really doesn't mean that a lot to you. Um, maybe it's difficult to raise your, your game. I mean, Sam, you'd probably be better at answering that question, whether that is an element to it. I mean, it's probably no surprise that the one player that I thought actually offered something was the one player that didn't start at Old Trafford. Yeah. I mean, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, was a, his, some of his driving runs were, were excellent and... and 
and what we want we want to see from him. But I mean, he he didn't rest control. Don't get me wrong; he didn't like control midfield for any great length of time. But he was the one player that was offering a thrust from deep, um, and a goal threat. Actually, he had that good shot in the second half that Pickford tipped over. But maybe fatigue comes into it. But it was just it was so predictable. Really, that was that was the disappointing thing about it. And and part of that, you have to look. I mean, the manager shouldn't be immune from criticism on that. I mean, his body language towards the end was pretty grim. I and mean, Liam makes a point in his piece this morning. I mean, at the end of it all, he's 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 almost like a, a man resigned to this is this is how it's going to be. Well, he's got the opportunity to there to to shift things if he if he thinks that. If he thinks that that was a, there was a possibility of that rather jaded performance, then maybe make more changes. Maybe, maybe try something different. I mean, we go back to the Lukaku thing again. I mean, he'd like to think that if any game's going to get Lukaku's juices flowing, it would have been up against Everton at Goodison Park. But we'll never know. Well, Chelsea still well set to finish in the top four. They are five points clear of fifth place Spurs. But if you add the goal difference into that, then, you know, it's effectively worth an extra point, as they say. And Chelsea's next Premier League game is against Wolves at Stamford Bridge on Saturday. The Blues not in great form at home, but Wolves not in great form anyway. So a win there and uh, it will be one step closer to Champions League football for next season. And Vanilla Harder now has the chance to put Chelsea in front in one of their biggest games of the season. Harder against Ramsey. And that's an absolutely massive goal for Vanilla Harder and for Chelsea in the race for the WSL title. Elsewhere in Chelsea news, a big win for the women's team. They squeezed past bottom side Birmingham at soggy St Andrews on Sunday night. Penilla Harder's second half penalty, the difference between the sides here, keeps the Blues' fate in their own hands. Beat Man United at home on Sunday and they will win the WSL for the third season running. Um, Sam, it was a really difficult game, this, because of the pitch as much as anything else. But it's a massive win because Arsenal have won 7-0 earlier in the day to put the pressure on. But also Arsenal were beaten at Birmingham. This is Birmingham who are more than likely going to get relegated, but seem to raise it against the big teams. Um, it's you know a massive cliche, but if you don't play well and you win, that's as good as winning 7-0 against Aston Villa. Yeah, that doesn't matter now with just the... A couple of games remaining. Um, Emma Hayes thought they were a bit edgy yesterday, probably with what's at stake. And, you know, they go into that final game with it in their their own hands. So that, that that's all you can ask for really at this stage of the season. And yeah, it didn't matter how they got the, the victory yesterday, just about getting over the line and yeah, harder converting the, the penalty to, to make sure that they can go into that last game. Optimistic that they've... Um, They've got the title after being, you know, pushed this year and and having a very, you know, few competitive challenges, uh, pushing them all the way. That, that pitch thing, Matt, it was, it was interesting that because he because it was Emma Hayes's post match interview suggested that the pitch was dry, but actually it was it when I watched in the second half it was it was sodden and the rain was coming up when the water was coming up when they were passing the ball on it so presumably that the, the overhead conditions and it had been it had been dry pre-match and it just made for this sort of rather bobbly playing surface that that helped disrupt Chelsea's build-up play but it just it just seemed like an exercise in attack versus defense from from what I see until that really nervy 
um, period in stoppage time. And incidentally, when when Chelsea's men's team start complaining about shithousery, if I'm allowed to use that comment, um, the Chelsea goalkeeper in the women's team, um, when, the, when, when the ball went behind in stoppage time at the end, and she, she picked it up and leathered it out the stadium just to waste a bit of time. Well, that's pretty much the same thing, if you ask me. <laughs> Very effective from Catherine Berger. Uh, we will do a big preview on that game against Man United on our Thursday show, seeing as it's so important. A couple of other lines from the women's team since last we met. Jiso Yun has announced that she's going to depart Chelsea at the end of the season. Uh, absolutely magnificent player. One of the best in the in the history of, of Chelsea women and also in terms of the, the WSL as a whole as well. So she'll be sorely missed. But good news, as Frank Kirby tweeted this weekend, a picture of her seemingly at Cobham in her training kit saying, I'm coming. Happy face emoji, muscly arm emoji, blue emoji. That's the kind of tweets we like to reach now. <laughs> yeah, definitely. No, <laughs> she's been brilliant. Um, very, very nice when I've met her as well on occasion. I think I saw her first Champions League goal and from that day. Um Gone from strength to strength, yeah. Br- brilliant player, good character. So yeah, with with G departing, who who again has been there, you know, from the very start. Well, certainly since I started covering the the women's team, and yeah, she brings just she's brought such an amount of uh, calm to that to that team. You know, in a variety of positions, she almost I've seen her play such a floating role. You know, it almost gets the ball off the back four G, and then she pops up with goals, free kicks, assists, and She's been the fulcrum, so that'll be a difficult uh, player to replace. But brilliant news on the Kirby front because this season's been incredibly disrupted. Uh, Not such good news for Chelsea's under-23 team. They went down to a 4-3 defeat at Blackburn on Sunday. This after Leeds had played their final game of the season, which was a 1-1 draw at Arsenal. It means that as it stands, Chelsea would get relegated. So they're second bottom. They're two points behind Leeds. Leeds, though, have played all their games this season. Chelsea finished this weekend against Spurs. That game taking place at Cobham on Sunday, a one o'clock kickoff. Sam, you mentioned before we switched the mics on, you don't want to have to be playing Spurs and having to win a game to win if you're Chelsea because the motivation for the opposition is clear. Um, It's got to be a win though. And and Chelsea have got six of them out of 25 games in the league so Mm. far. So it's far from a given. It's going to be a really tense occasion on Sunday. It will be. The the Tottenham staff might be rolling out the Eden Hazard goal, which uh, scuppered (laughs) their... Their title hopes that year. Yeah, Tottenham might want to do Chelsea many favours. I don't think, if my maths is right, a point at, at Blackburn would have um, changed anything. They'd have had no, to win two that game. between them, yeah. Had to have won that game to, to be sorted. So, all to play for. And again, it's in their hands, but it's not been a great season. But, you know, with the likes of Vale and Hall and um, Wareham's had a good end to the season. Um, hopefully they can get it done. But... Yeah, it will be a it'll be a, a huge surprise, and it'll be a yeah, huge shock to many if if they don't achieve it. Um, but you know, this season has been tough for one reason or another. Um, but it should be a cracking game, shouldn't it? And hopefully, the the players can turn up and produce. Uh, you can play three overage players in the oh, twenty three league. Here we go. Just get some ringers in on Sunday. That's what I'm saying. Who would you Who would you put in? Oh, they might not even be a, a, <laughs> overage. You'd, you'd have Mason Mount and Reese James, wouldn't you? And then one other, essentially, I think, to win that game. Maybe Lukaku. Maybe that's the game that gets Lukaku back, back fit and firing. <laughs> <laughs> 
not going to happen. Anyway, we'll let you know uh, how they get on this time next week. Hopefully, they'll still be in Division 1 of PL2. Uh, the under-18 season kind of petering out in the under-18 Premier League South. They drew 2-2 in the Dom Derby against Crystal Palace. They went 2-1 up on 44 minutes through Lewis Flower, only for Palace to equalise in first half stoppage time. Tudor Mendel Idowu got the other goal uh, for Chelsea in that one. Uh, that'll just about do it for today. Don, what are you working on, please? Um, tight title races, uh, uh, psychology of of um, one team playing before the other, etc. How you cope with all that. There's a there's a piece up went up this morning on Carlo Ancelotti and his five title wins in five different countries. Um, with a section I contributed on the the Chelsea success from 2010. Um, and I'm sure there'll be plenty of Chelsea takeovers as various other billionaires decide actually they do quite fancy buying the European champions. Uh, we've alluded to Liam's piece, which is up now on Chelsea, needing clarity on the takeover so that they can revamp the squad in the summer. You can also read the piece that Simon trailed on Thursday with his interview with Josh McEachern. Uh, Sam, where in the wide world of football will you be this week? I'm at Fulham tonight to see if they can finally uh, lift the trophy and get a, see what type of fettle they're in before Derby commences again next season. And um, oh, I'll see Josh McEachern on Thursday for the start of the playoffs. Wickham, Wickham Wanderers against the uh, MK, which is a bit of a derby in itself, I'm sure. Buckinghamshire? Maybe both Bucks. Yeah, I'll go with that. <laughs> can I can I just take this opportunity to wish Matthew all the very, very best for the game at Bournemouth on Tuesday night? My goodness me. I did appreciate you <laughs> writing a piece linked to Forrest's amazing success this season, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> yeah, we're hoping, we're hoping it's going to be Chelsea versus Forrest next season uh, we'll have to wait and see by the way that Wickham MK game if they don't call it big bucks in some <laughs> description then Sky are missing the trick really aren't they um, enjoy that Sam listener cheer up you know they'll have new owners soon Chelsea everything will be fine still champions of the world it's okay uh, join us on Thursday when we preview that WSL title decider as well as the game against Wolves and the under 23's bid to stay in PL2 it's always a big week in the world of Chelsea Football Club and it's no exception at the start of May many thanks to Sam to Dom and to producer Lucy but mainly to you listener for joining us we'll catch up with you again later in the week until then it's goodbye The Athletic.